0: Amen. All right, well, we're there in First Timothy chapter number five, and of course tonight uh, we are uh, going through our happily ever after uh, sermon series, and we've been uh, learning biblical principles uh, for the Christian home. And we've been learning about uh, all. Really, this is this sermon is this series is my hopes to really cover everything uh, that I know about the Christian home and and what the Bible teaches about the Christian home. And uh, tonight, uh, I'm going to follow up last week's sermon. Last week, I preached a sermon called Money and Marriage. And we talked about biblical principles for, for your marriage and, of course, for the Christian home. And they apply to everyone. Uh, tonight, I want to preach a different sermon, still on the subject of money in regards to the Christian home. And I want to preach a sermon entitled The Single Income Family. And I want you to notice there in 1 Timothy chapter 5 and verse 14... The Bible says, I will, and of course, this is the Apostle Paul speaking, under the inspiration of the Holy Ghost. He says, I will, and the word will there is my desire. And Paul is speaking here, but it's God speaking through Paul. God is telling us through Paul that his desire, God's desire, is his will is therefore that the younger women, listen up, young ladies, if you're wondering, what's God's will for my life? Well, here's a verse where God tells you. He says, I will, therefore, that the younger women marry Bear children, guide the house, give none occasion to the adversary to speak reproachfully. The Bible teaches that in the Christian life and in the Christian home, it is the woman, the wife, the mother, who is to be what we would call the homemaker. Here God says that God's will for a young woman is not for her to grow up to be the first female president of the United States or the first female governor of the state of California, or to be on the Supreme Court. But his will is for her to marry, bear children, guide the house, give none occasion to the adversary to preach, uh, to speak reproachfully. That phrase there, guide the house, is what we would call being a homemaker, or uh, staying at home. Now, keep your finger right there in 1 Timothy 5. We're going to come back to it. But go with me to Titus, chapter number 2, just real quickly. You're there in 1 Timothy. You're going to go past 2 Timothy into the book of Titus. I realize that uh, when you make statements like these, people get offended today, and they'll say things uh, that, you know, that I'm anti-feminist or, or whatever because I teach that the Bible says that women should stay home and today, that's not the way the view that the world has. I get offended when people get offended about that because they think that a woman going out and being the CEO of some company is more important than guiding and bearing and uh, keeping uh, the and, and raising a child, which is has a soul, an eternal soul that'll spend eternity somewhere in heaven or hell. You know, I would uh, submit to you that maybe you have your priorities out of whack and that uh, running a business or working in a business does not come close to the importance that God gave you when he gave you children. Uh, There in Titus chapter 2 and verse 4, the Bible says that they, this is referring to the elder women, it says that they may teach the young women to be sober, to love their husbands, to love their children, to be discreet, chaste. I want you to notice this little phrase here, keepers at home keepers at home. That's the same idea that we saw in 1 Timothy 5.14, to guide the house, to be keepers at home. Again, this would be a homekeeper or a homemaker, good, obedient to their own husbands, that the word of God be not blasting. Go back to 1 Timothy chapter 5, if you would, 1 Timothy chapter 5. I just want you to notice here by way of introduction that the Bible is clear about the fact that in the Christian home, the wife or the mother should be the homemaker she would guide the house she should be a keeper at home the bible also clearly teaches that in the christian home the husband or the father should be the sole provider 1 timothy 5 in verse 8 says but if any provide not for his own and especially for those of his own house he hath denied the faith and is worse than an infidel the bible teaches that the man is to be the provider in the Christian home. Now, again, I realize that this goes against the grain in our society today. Today, we are told that three out of four women believe that they should work outside of the home. In fact, we are told that half of women in our country do work outside of the home. And I, I, I want to preach this sermon on the single income family because I want you to, uh, I want to help you, and I want to help you with some things. You need to understand that there is an attack on the nuclear family today. There's an attack on the idea of a husband, a wife, and children forming a family. And of course, there's attacks from all sides in regards to that. But one attack that has came upon the family is a financial attack. And it is the fact that today in the United States of America, uh, you pretty much... Virtually need two incomes in order to be able to survive. Back in the, uh, before the 1960s and the 1970s, uh, men would be able to, to go off to work and work at a, just a, a normal job somewhere, and they were able to make enough money in the United States of America to support an entire family and to live well off of one income. Those days are no longer uh, with us. You say, what happened? Well, back in the 1960s and the 1970s, women joined the workforce. And when women joined the workforce, and all of a sudden, there was a lot more uh, people that were able to work and willing to work and able to take jobs, It, it, it brought the price of wages down so that now... It requires two individuals to be able to go off to work. And listen to me, people are not living any more better today than they were 40 years ago. The, the, the standard of living has not increased. You would think, well, now there's two people working, so you think people are living uh, twice as well. I think they were probably living better back then. And we, we live in a society today, we have created this culture that pretty much makes it, puts this pressure on you to send your wife to work, to have two uh, incomes, and it, it's, almost, it almost, it's almost a miracle that a family could live off of one income today in 2022, it's virtually impossible. Now you say, well, yeah, you know, it is impossible, and and that's depressing. Well, let me me help you out with something. With men, this is impossible, but with God, all things are possible. And you're sitting in a church tonight filled with families that uh, have a lot of uh, men that support their families off one income. And you say, how do they do that? Well, part of it is the grace of God, and part of it is the things I'm going to teach you tonight. I'm going to teach you how to survive as a single-income family today in 2022, and I'm going to teach you on this subject. Now, let me just say some things. I understand that there are some women that have to work and need to work, and I'm not against you. We've had women in our church over the years, maybe a single mother or something like that, and and she doesn't have a choice to work. I'm not against you. Sometimes there's situations where that's the case, and I'm not not preaching this sermon to try to uh, beat up on you or anything like that, Uh, but I'm trying to help uh, some of the families that are here and maybe some of the young people coming up uh, to be able to set themselves up for the proper future. Now, five years ago, I preached a sermon called, How to Provide for Your Family on One Income. That was a Father's Day sermon about five years ago. That sermon on YouTube right now has uh, over 12,000 views. And uh, and, and I just want to tell you, the sermon I'm preaching tonight is not that sermon. That was a different sermon. Obviously, there'll be some overlap. Uh, That was a sermon that was geared towards men. I preached it on Father's Day, uh, and and tonight I'm preaching a completely different sermon. This sermon is geared towards both husbands and wives, and because you really need both to be able to survive as a single-income family today. And what I want to do is I want to give you three... Ideas are three areas, three things that a single-income family must do with their money if they're going to survive in uh, society today. So uh, you have your place there in uh, First Timothy. Go with me if you would to the Old Testament book of Second Chronicles. If you can find the one and two books, they're all clustered together there in the Old Testament. You got First and Second Samuel, First and Second Kings, First and Second Chronicles. Go to Second Chronicles, chapter number two second chronicles chapter number two and i'm going to give you some things three different ideas i'd like you to maybe write these down on the back of your course of the week there's a place for you to jot down some notes and I, I, I want you to to learn this and i want you to get this i don't know if somebody could help me out it feels a little warm to me i don't know if it's if it's warm or not but if you could check that i would appreciate that if you're taking notes tonight number one three things that a single income family must do with money number one the single income family must earn money. All right, let's start there. That should be uh, uh, an easy one. The single income family must earn money. Now, what I'm going to do is I'm going to give you a point, and I'm going to gear the first point towards the husbands. I'm going to gear the second point towards the wives, and then I'm going to gear the third point towards both husbands and wives. Now, this applies to anyone, and you could apply this to anyone, but I want to really apply it tonight to the husbands. You say, how do we survive in 2022 as a single income family? Where the husband goes off and he is the one that is in the workforce outside of the home because please understand this wives that stay home work in fact they work very hard in fact they work harder probably than you do and uh they, they they don't get to take a 15 minute break and and clock out at 5 p.m their their job is 24 hours a day seven days a week but when it comes to earning money and we're referring to the husband the father going out and 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 making money bringing home the bacon as it were the you need to understand that if you're going to live in our culture today the single income family you're gonna have to earn some money you say well how do I earn money how do I make enough money to be able to provide for a family because here's the thing we because of the culture we live in not only you know do you have one husband that has a job, that has to make enough money to provide for a family. We also believe this is a sermon coming up, you know, that God blesses that children are a blessing. So we end up having families with more kids than the average family. And then we also believe that public school and private school education is a curse. So we end up educating our children at home which means that we pay for our children's education twice because we pay taxes for them to be educated by the government, but because we reject the government education system, we then go ahead and pay again to educate them ourselves. And it seems like we've got all these uh, odds stacked against us, and I'm not telling you that to try to discourage you. I'm just telling you to to sober you up a little bit and realize that if you're going to do this and you're going to survive in this thing, you're going to, especially you men, are going to have to learn how to earn some money you have to learn how to make some money. You say, how can I earn money? Well, uh, let me give you a couple of thoughts, uh, especially for those of you that work a job. Uh, you business owners, I'll talk to you here in a minute. But let me say this. For those of you that, that have a job, you work somewhere, you need to increase your value at work. Amen. You need to increase your value. You say, how do I make more money? Let me, let me help you out with something. Here's how the word money is spelled. V-A-L-U-E. You say, I want to make more money. All right, increase your value. Mm-hmm. I want to make more money. All right, get better. Become more valuable so that they'll pay you more. Are you there in 2 Chronicles chapter 2? Look at verse 7. 2 Chronicles chapter 2 and verse 7. Here we have Solomon who's getting ready to start a big project. It's called the temple. And he's looking for some employees. Second Chronicles chapter 2 and verse 7, notice what he's looking for. Because what Solomon's looking for is what every employer is looking for. He says, send me now, therefore, Solomon is requesting workers. He says, send me now, therefore, a man cunning. You see the word Cunning. The word cunning means skilled or having ability. A man cunning to work in gold and in silver and in brass and in iron and in purple and in crimson and in blue. And that uh, and that can... I want you to notice this word, okay? He says, and that can skill to grave with the... Notice this word cunning. What does the word cunning mean? It means skilled or having ability. Men that are with me in Judah and in Jerusalem, whom David my father did provide. Notice that when Solomon is asking for workers, these are the ways he describes the workers. I need a man that's cunning. What does that mean? It means they're skilled. It means they have some sort of value. There's something they bring to the table. They've got something they can do, something they can provide. They're skilled. They have an ability. He says, I need men that can skill to grave the cunning men, uh, uh, with the cunning men that are with me. Notice verse 8. He says, send me also cedar trees, fir trees, Algum trees out of Lebanon. Notice what he says, For I know that thy servants can skill to cut timber in Lebanon, and behold, my servant shall be with thy servants. You say, How do I increase my value and get paid more? You need to listen, men, at work, you need to learn and master a skill worth someone paying you for or paying you more for. That's what it comes down to. It's value. What kind of value do you bring? And please, don't misunderstand me. I'm not not beating up on you if you you work at McDonald's or whatever. But here's what you need to understand. Flipping hamburgers is not that hard. Flipping hamburgers does not require a lot of skill. And because there's very little skill required with flipping a hamburger, there's very little value in that job, which means you get paid less. But when you have a skill that is hard, that is different, that is something that not everyone can do, now you have value, and because you have value, you'll get paid more. Amen. So you say, I, I, need, to, I need to increase uh, my-, my value, okay? Learn and master a skill. Amen. And by the way, at your job, at your job, there's probably... A hundred things that you're required to do, but there's probably two or three things that are pretty difficult to do that maybe only a few guys know how to do. Hey, you need to become that guy. You need to learn and, and you need to work and you need to practice. You need to you say, How do I increase my value? How do I make more money? How do I earn money for my family? Here's how you do it. You learn and master a skill worth someone paying you or paying you more for. You say what else? You don't like that one? Okay, let me give you another one. Go to, go to Ephesians. Ephesians chapter number six. In the, in the New Testament, I'm not sure if you kept your place in First Timothy, but if you go backwards from First Timothy, you've got uh, Second and 1 Thessalonians, Colossians, Philippians, Ephesians. Ephesians chapter number six. Here's another one for you. Not only should you learn and master a skill where someone paying you for or paying you more for, to increase your value, Let me read it, but let me read the passage before I give you the, the point. Ephesians 6, look at verse 5. Servants. Now here we're taught, here the Apostle Paul is speaking t- to the workforce. He's talking to servants who are the workers. He says, servants, be obedient. He's referring to do what you're told to do. Be obedient to them that are your masters. And that you could see that as the boss, the person in charge. According to the flesh. So notice, he's referring to secular work. Servants, be obedient to them that are your masters. According to the flesh. Notice, with fear and trembling. By the way, guys, go to work and be respectful to your boss. Amen. Be careful about how you speak to your boss. The Bible says you got to speak with them with fear and trembling. In singleness of heart of your heart, notice he says, as unto Christ. Now notice verse 6. Not with eye service as men pleasers. Here's what he's saying. Don't be the guy who only works when he's being watched. Who only works when he's being supervised. He says, don't be a worker that is only with eye service as men pleasers, but as the servants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart with goodwill. Notice these words, doing service as to the Lord and not to men. Now, what is it that Paul is saying here? Paul is saying, hey, don't only be a hard worker when your boss is around. Don't only be a hard worker when you're being watched. Be a hard worker at all times. Because as a Christian, you should be working as unto Christ. You should be working as to the Lord. And the Lord is watching you all the time. The Lord is watching you and Christ is with you all the time. But in this passage, Paul gives us a secret to success in the workplace. You say, what is it? Here's the secret. Some of you should write this down. Do more than what you get paid to do. Work harder than what you get paid to, the the amount of, 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 of money that you get paid to do. Because here's how the average employee thinks. The average employee thinks, well, when I get the promotion, I'll work harder. When I get the raise, I'll work harder. When I get the bonus, I'll work harder. Here's how the average employer thinks. I'm going to give the promotion to the guy that's working harder. I'm going to give the raise to the guy that's working harder. Look, here's a secret to success in the workplace. Do more than you're being paid to do. Work harder than you're being paid to work, and then you will. when you do more than what you're being paid to do, you will get paid more for what you're doing. When you work harder than what you're being paid to work, you will get paid more for the work that you are doing. You want to be a good employee. There's a man by the name of Jim Rohn who said, always do more than what you get paid for as an investment into your future self. You can't tell the boss, give me a promotion and I'll work harder. No, you work harder and earn that promotion. The truth is that you get in life what you put into it. And you get in life not what you need, but what you deserve. So go to work and be a good worker. You say, what does that mean to be a good worker? Let me just give you some thoughts. Okay, don't be negative. Don't be negative. Listen to me. If you're not a business owner, and I'm not, I'm not saying that in a, in, in, in a negative way, but I, I want to help you or something. If you're not a business owner, if you're working for a business owner, if you're working for an entrepreneur, chances are, because of the fact that they're a business owner and an entrepreneur, they're probably a very visionary, optimistic type leader. Those are the type of people that generally take the risk to go and start a business and do something like that. Your boss, if you work at a business where the guy went out and started the thing, he's probably a very positive optimistic, go-getter, proactive type of guy. Let me tell you something. The one thing that gets on the nerves of people that are proactive and positive and realizing that the world's not always uh, uh, the greatest, but we can go out there and try hard and work hard and do it as unto the Lord, and the Lord will help us. Hey, the, the thing that gets on that person's nerve is the guy that's always negative. That's right. The guy that's always giving you a reason why you can't do it, why it can't be done, why we shouldn't try. Hey, don't be the negative guy at work. Try to be the guy that always says yes. Try to be the guy that says we can do it or we can figure out how to do it or we we, we will get it done. Hey, be positive at work and just, you you say, well, I'm not getting paid to do that. Do more than what you're getting paid to do. Be careful, I already said this, how you speak to your boss. Sometimes, People tell me things. I think to myself, wait a minute. Do, do, you, do you work for me or do I work for you? Be careful how you suggest things to your boss. Listen to me. If you suggest something to your boss and he says, no, drop it. Yeah. Well, I have a better idea. You're not the boss. Well, I think it would work. He's in charge. Don't complain. Don't murmur. Don't be, just try to be a really good employee. Listen to me. Please understand this. This is actually not very difficult. Today... We live in such a just russified society. I don't know how else to say it. I mean, we, we live in such a limp wristed society today. The average man at work, the average man just lacks drive. They, they lack attention to detail. They, they, they lack tenacity. They lack work ethic. And it really doesn't take a lot for you to shine. Just show up early, stay late, be respectful, get your work done, tuck your shirt in, brush your hair, and you'll probably get the raise. You say, how do I earn for my single family income? You increase your value. Increase your value at work. Learn and master a skill that is worth someone paying you, and work harder than what you're getting paid to do, do more than what you're getting paid to do, and then you will get paid more because you're working and you're, uh, and you're investing in that future self. So you ought to increase your value. Let me give you a biblical example of this. Go to Genesis, if you would. In the Old Testament, first book of the Bible, Genesis 39 should be fairly easy to find. Genesis 39. Genesis 39. And if you say, Pastor, you know, I'm not really that type. I'm not the risk taker. I'm not the, the person that just go, go get her. Hey, that's fine. Nothing. I'm not saying there's anything wrong with you not being that person, but just don't be, you know, down all the time around the boss who is. If the boss is saying, hey, we can do this. We can get this done. Let's get this accomplished. You get on board with that and say, let's do it. Let's try it. Okay. Genesis 39, look at verse 4. Genesis 39, verse 4, the Bible says, and Joseph... Now, here's what's interesting about Joseph. If you study the life of Joseph, and I don't have time to go through the whole thing tonight, but I would encourage, especially uh, you young men, you should study the life of Joseph. Joseph was the type of guy that it did not matter where you put him. Wherever you put him, he was going to prosper and he was going to succeed. You could put him anywhere. You could put him everywhere and he would succeed. Why? Because he was a valuable individual. Because everywhere he went, he did more and accomplished more than what he was getting paid to do. Genesis 39, look at verse 4. And Joseph, this is Joseph while he's in slavery, found grace in his sight, referring to Potiphar. And he, referring to Joseph, served him, Potiphar. And he, Potiphar, notice, made him overseer, over his house. And all that he had, he put into his hand. Here we have Joseph being sold into slavery, and you know what happens when he gets sold into slavery? He becomes the top slave. In fact, Potiphar put, he made him the overseer over his whole house, and all that he had, he put into his hand. Then you fast forward the story. Potiphar's wife lies about him, gets him thrown into prison. What happens? Look at verse 21, same chapter, Genesis 39, verse 21. But the Lord was with Joseph. Now he's in prison and showed him mercy and he gave him favor in the sight of the keeper of the prison. And the keeper of the prison, notice, committed to Joseph's hand all the prisoners that were in prison. And notice, notice, how much is Joseph getting paid at the prison? The answer is zero. But notice, he did more than what he was getting paid to do, and whatsoever they did there, he was the doer of it. Hey, you want that to be your, that should be your goal at work. Your goal should be that when your boss sits you down for your review, he says, everything we do around here, you're the doer of it. You're the leader of it. You're getting it done. And whatsoever they did there, he was the doer of it. And look, is it, and here's the thing. People get this idea like, whoa, I don't have a good job. If I had a good job, I'd work hard. He's a slave. Right, right. If I had a good job, I'd work harder. He's in prison. But because he worked hard while he was a slave, because he had value and added value and, and created value while he was in prison, he ends up being the second most powerful man in Egypt. So don't tell me, well, if I had a better job. Listen to me. It ain't, you, you say, Pastor, you don't know, you don't understand because of my lifestyle and because of things in my past work. The best job I can get is, 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 is at McDonald's. Then you work hard and you run that McDonald's and have them make you the boss over all the McDonald's. Amen. Amen. Just, just grow. Just add value. Just, you will always succeed Amen. when you do more than what you're getting paid to do. Amen. So you say, how do, I, how do I make more money for my family? Increase your value. Increase your value. Here's another way that you can make more, val- uh, more money for your family. Go to Proverbs 22. If you go to the center of your Bible and open up right in the center, you're more than likely to find the book of Psalms. Right after Psalms, you have Proverbs, Proverbs chapter 22. Do me a favor, put a ribbon or bookmark, something there in Proverbs. We're going to leave it. We're going to come back to it. Proverbs 22. Here's another way you can make money is to work for yourself. Let me let you in on a little secret. No matter how bad this country is, and it is bad, you have the wonderful privilege of living in the United States of America, Amen. where you can literally go out and make money tomorrow if you work, if you work hard. You know, sometimes people come to me and they're like, I don't know what to do. I got, I got nowhere to go. I mean, I, I can't go any higher already where I'm at, and I've got, I didn't get education, and I didn't get skills, and I don't know. What do I do? This is what I always saw people work for yourself. Start a business. Maybe that's why we've got like 20 business owners in this church. I don't know. But I always tell people, work for yourself. Look, working for yourself will give you opportunities that are only limited by you. Proverbs 22, look at verse 29. Proverbs 22, verse 29. Seest thou a man diligent in his business? Now, FYI, the word business there is not only applying to starting a business. I think you could apply this to any sort of work. But notice what the Bible says. Seest thou a man diligent? The word diligent means a hard worker. Seest thou a man diligent in his business? Notice, he shall stand before kings. He shall not stand before mean men. The word mean there means obscure or unknown. The Bible says that when you see a man diligent in his business, that diligence in his business is going to open up doors for him and he will stand before kings, not before obscure and unknown men. See, working for yourself, if you work hard and you're diligent, will open up opportunities for you to be able to accomplish the things that you're trying to accomplish. Just this week on Friday, my wife and I had a talk with our sons. And we were talking to our sons about the fact that they're getting older and obviously becoming teenagers. And we were telling them, look, you don't want to do what the average teenager does in the United States of America, where they go work at some fast food place for minimum wage and learn nothing of value. And we were explaining to them that, look, even in the United States of America, even a teenager can be an entrepreneur. You guys can go out and start a business and, 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 and earn money and make money if you're willing to work. And we're telling them you can learn the skills needed to start. a. And when we're talking to our kids about starting a business, we're talking about a legit business, getting a business license, getting an account, paying taxes. I mean, getting out there and getting to work, learning the skills that they need. And we were talking about it and discussing it and saying, well, what could we do? And we were just kind of discussing, well, what, what are you able to do? And we talked about, you know, certain things that they could do and different ideas. The funny thing is, the very next day, we got so many brother Eli. And brother Eli says to them, well, I could hire you guys to pass out some flyers for my business, you know, and, and that, maybe in the future you guys could do that for me. And I was telling my kids, seest thou a man diligent in his business? He shall stand before kings. God will open up doors for you. God will allow you to meet the right people and make the right connections. Listen to me. Working for, if you say, I don't know what to do, work for yourself. You say, I have no skills. Listen, there are literally people in this country that make very good money picking up dog poop. Because they go out and they work and they work out hard at it. And let me tell you something, there is profit in all labor. Just Work. Just don't be afraid of working and working hard, and God will bless you, and God will meet you halfway, and God will open up doors and get you the connections you need, and it'll all work out. Amen. you got to work for yourself. Working for yourself will give you and open-up opportunities, and working for yourself is only limited to yourself. You have to, Obviously, you have to get up and actually go work. You can't just be laying around sleeping in all day and thinking, you know, you're going you're gonna to be able to uh, get something done. You're there in Proverbs 22. Go to Proverbs 31. You say, I don't know. I don't know about this whole working for myself. Let me, let, me hear, let me explain to you kind of how business works, all right? It's not that complicated. You need to sell a product or provide a service that is worth someone paying you to do it. That's it. Sell a product or provide a service that is worth, remember, value, that is worth someone saying, yes, I'm willing to exchange money with you because the value that you are offering me is worth the exchange of that money. That's business. That's the economy. That's how it works. So you say, I don't know what to do. I, I, I'm only just going to go get a job somewhere. Okay, nothing wrong with that. Go get a job somewhere and, and be valuable. Do more than you get paid to do. Rise up in that business and, and, and God will bless you. But if you say, well, I can't do that, or that doesn't work for me, okay, then you go out and start a business, say, what do I do? You sell a product, or you provide a service that is worth somebody paying you for. Now, in Proverbs 31, we have the virtuous woman. And this woman is, is doing this business at home. And I realize I'm preaching to the men right now, but the, the truth is that the truth of these verses apply to both men and women, and the truths of capitalism found here apply to both men and women. I want you to notice this woman, she's selling things from home, Proverbs thirty-one eighteen. but notice how she sells a product that has value. The Bible says in verse 18, she perceiveth that her merchandise is good. Her candle goeth not out by night. Look at verse 24, same chapter. She maketh fine linen, and selleth it, and delivereth girdles, unto the merchants. Now notice, she's not a merchant. She's selling to the merchants. She's working at home, the virtuous woman. But the idea is the same. If you want to start a business, you need to perceive that your merchandise is good. You need to figure out how you can sell a product or provide a service that is worth, that is worth uh, someone uh, uh, paying you for or giving you uh, money for. And look, it doesn't matter what it is. Just make sure that there's value to it. This is how business works. It's funny because just, just a couple of weeks ago, I was talking to Brother, Brother Joel. After church, so one, one night and I was telling him about an idea I had of, of a series that I wanted to do on one of our YouTube channels. And I was kind of explaining to him, you know, I hadn't decided if I was going to do it. I still haven't decided if I'm going to do it. But I was telling him, you know, this is what I'm thinking of doing and it would entail this and this is how long it's going to take to develop it and produce it or whatever. And this is what Brother Joel said to me. He said, well, there's always a question about value. He said, there's always a question about value. Will it produce what you think it's going to produce? Is the value worth the work? And I thought to myself, that's exactly how a business owner thinks. That's exactly how successful people think. You've got to just consider value. Can I provide a value? Can I provide a service? Can I sell a good that is worth people exchanging money. Look, I'm just telling you, if you're going to survive in this society today with a single income, you better have a skill that other people don't have. You better work harder than other people do. You better uh, uh, provide a service or have a product or do something. And I'm here to tell you, seest thou a man diligent in his business, he shall stand before kings. He shall not stand before mean men. God will open up the doors that you need and help you uh, to get where uh, you need to get and by the way look let me let me explain something to you, to you because everybody whenever you preach stuff people always want to give you the reason why it doesn't apply to them well this doesn't apply to me because i work at mcdonald's become the owner of mcdonald's yeah. and then you'll have pastors well this doesn't apply to me because i'm a pastor this applies to you as a pastor hey listen at verity baptist church i do everything in my power For you, when you show up to church on a Sunday night or on a Wednesday night or on a Sunday morning, I do everything in my power to make sure that what you're getting from this pulpit is giving you value. That you're learning something, that it's helping you. That you leave here and say, wow, that was worth me going to church tonight. Hey, this works in whatever business you're in. Provide a value. You say, I want to start a restaurant. Make sure it provides some value. Look, there's a reason why we choose to go to Chipotle, though it's more expensive than McDonald's. Why? It's called value. And yes, they are paying me to advertise. I'm kidding. They're not. I wish they were. If I got paid for advertising, I'd have a Coke up here, and that'd be great. Now, let me just give you some thoughts real quickly before I move off this point. In regards to, let me just give some advice for for the homemaker, home-based business. Because we're looking at Proverbs 31, and oftentimes women get this idea, wives and, 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 uh, and, and mothers get this idea that they want to start a business at home and, and, and make some money. And, and there's nothing wrong with that. We see that in the virtuous woman. But let me just give you some thoughts and some advice in regards to that. First of all, it's not advisable that you start a home-based business when you have a bunch of babies or toddlers or little ones. You know, you, you want to remember that the reason you became a homemaker is to focus on your family. So if you're going to, you know, become a homemaker so you can focus on your family, but then start a business from home that takes you away from your family, you're, you're defeating the purpose. All right. So I just want, you know, to be clear as your pastor and my wife and I have talked about this. The advice that we give that she gives as a pastor wife is, look, if you've got little babies or toddlers, don't feel this. Be this this pressure to like, oh, well, I have to go start a business to be a virtuous woman. Look, you raise your kids, all right? And, and it's not really advisable to do that. Also, it's not advisable that you start a home-based business if doing so, and this goes along the same lines, is going to take you away from your family. So look, if you're just going to have to, you know, be, you know, uh, clocking in somewhere or, or have a certain amount of time or you have to be away from your family, that's not necessarily the best thing is that's not something that we advise. It's not advisable. It is not advisable that you start a home-based business that will end up costing you money and never actually making money. Let me tell you something. Lots of people start home-based businesses and they spend a bunch of money getting started and they never actually sell anything. You know, just be very careful about that, all right? Now, here's our advice. It is advisable, that if you start a home-based business, that you do something that you can work on while your kids are asleep or napping, all right? We're not against you starting home-based business. In fact, my wife has written children's books, and I did the illustrations, and we sell them, and we do that from home. You know, but here's the thing. She didn't write children's books at the expense of homeschooling our children, those were things that she did in the evenings when the kids were already in bed or while they were taking a nap. Make sure if you're going to do something that's not taken away from the focus of your family. And here's another one for you. It's advisable that you work on something that creates, and, and this is kind of a buzzword, so excuse me for using it, but you, you want to do something that creates passive income. I know that's a big thing that people like to talk about and, and talk about getting rich, but let me just define that for you. When when I'm using the word passive income, what I mean by that is that it's something that you can put the work into it and then once the work is done like writing a children's book then you can sell it for the rest of your life and that income it's not like it's not like my wife's like you know having to clock in at a job somewhere you know she spent time writing a book producing it creating it. now the book's done now people just order it we ship it to them order it we ship it to them but the, she's not putting any more work into that and if you're going to be a stay-at-home uh, wife and you want to start a business, we would just advise that you do something that you can work on it, a project you can do when your kids are asleep, when they're napping, things like that. Not something that's going to take you away uh, from your family and that it be something that maybe once the work is done, it's done. And then you can just sell it. And, and, that, and of course, you can work on other projects and do other things. But just want to give you some advice in regards to that because we see a lot of people just uh, doing things where they, they're pretty much on the clock at home. And it's like, that's not, you're taken away from your children. That's not really the whole point of being a homemaker. Go back to 2 uh, uh, Timothy chapter 4, if you would. 2 Timothy chapter 4. If you kept your place in 1 Timothy, right after 1 Timothy, you have 2 Timothy. So we're talking about the fact that the single-income family needs to earn money. You do that, number one, by increasing your value. Number two, by, w- by working for yourself. And then, number three, you say, well... I- I don't know how I could do either one of those. Look, don't be that person. That's the, that's the negativity I'm talking about. Become a better worker. I can't do that. Start a business. I can't do that. Well, what can you do? Do something. Don't just be the person. I can't do I can't do I can't do that. I can't do that. Well, go ahead and fill it, life then. You say, I don't, what do I do? Here's what you do. Number three, grow yourself. You say, I don't have a skill. Learn one. Amen. I don't have anything of value. Then create something. Become something. Do something. Grow yourself. You say, how do you do that? Number one, become a lifelong learner. Amen. Second Timothy chapter 4 and verse 3. I've showed you this verse before, but I want you to see it again. Here we have the apostle Paul at the end of his life in prison getting ready to be put to death or he's going to die soon. This is the last letter he wrote. And he's telling Timothy, the cloak that I left in Troas with Carpus, when thou comest, bring with thee. So Timothy's coming to see Paul, and Paul makes three requests. One request is the cloak. That's something that he needs for his physical body to keep him warm. Then he requests, he says, and the books, and then he says, but especially the parchments. The parchments are a reference to scripture. He says, hey, Timothy, bring my Bible. He asked for something for himself, spiritually, the parchments. He asked for something for himself physically, the cloak. But notice that he also asked for the books, bring the books. He asked for something for himself intellectually. And listen to me, if you're going to grow your value, you're going to have to learn. You're going to have to learn more than you know right now. Someone said this, five years from today, you will be the same person that you are today, except for the books you read and the people you meet and the sermons you listen to. Look, you've got to grow. There's a reason why they say it, leaders are readers. It's true. Someone said that if you read, studied, or practiced for one hour a day, five days a week, for five years, in any subject, you would become a world-class expert in that subject. And look, here's 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 all I'm telling you. And I say this, and I say this, and I say this, and people don't want to listen to me, and that's fine. You do what you want. My job, I'm just trying to give you some value here trying to help you you do with it what you want here's all I'm telling you if I worked at McDonald's I'd read every book on on fast food industries and become the best McDonald's worker that I could if I worked in sales I would read everything I could read about sales and pitching a sale and closing a sale and people skills if I was a pastor which I am I, I read every book I can get on administration and management and organization, and, 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 and I try to read and learn, and then I apply it to our church. This is why our church has certain systems that we do and certain things that we do that keep us organized and help us to, to grow and reach people and all those things. Why? Because, look, you need to grow yourself. Yeah. And if you sit there and say, I don't have time to read, then you don't have time to make more money. Proverbs chapter 1, if you would, Proverbs chapter 1, look at verse 5, if you go back to Proverbs, keep your place in First Timothy and go back to Proverbs. While you turn there, let me say this, and let me give this caveat, I don't think your goal should be to be a millionaire, I don't believe that, Amen. but I will say this, studies have showed that the average millionaire reads one book a month. And again, I don't think that your goal should be to be a millionaire, but let me just say this. There is a link between financial success and continual learning. You say, I have a job where I do X, Y, and Z. Then become an expert at X, Y, and Z. Learn, grow, become a lifelong learner. Proverbs 1 and verse 5, the Bible says, A wise man will hear and will increase learning, and a man of understanding shall attain unto wise counsel. Become a lifelong learner. Now, let me just say this. I'm not getting ready to get off this, this subject, but let me just say this. If you're going to go to college, I don't advise it. I don't advise anybody to go to college. I think it's a big waste of time. But if you're going to go to college, you've got to go to college, whatever, that's your thing, let me just give you this piece of advice. Get an employable degree. Get a degree that's actually going to pay you something. Say, so what do you mean? I mean, like, become an architect. Become an engineer. Become an accountant. If you go and get a liberal arts degree or some philosophy degree or some history degree, just you're just wasting your time. Amen. You say, what, what's wrong with that? Here's what's wrong with that. There's no value in that. No one's going to pay you. For, or they're not going to pay you very well. You're going to just end up working at a public school being a history teacher. So if you're going to go to college, make sure you get an employable degree. Make sure there's some value behind that. But I don't even necessarily uh, advise that. And honestly, business owners that have no education make way more money, the average business owner, than a college graduate. That's a fact. So, you know, do whatever you want with that. I'm just trying to help you. Go Go back to Proverbs 31. Proverbs 31. So, number one, the single income family must earn money. You got to earn money. How do I do that? Increase your value. Look, you want to raise that work, increase your value. Or work for yourself. And whichever one you choose, grow, grow, learn, become better. Number two, the single income family must not only earn money, but the single income family must save money. Now, I want to gear this towards the wives, but this applies to everyone. The single-income family must save money. And this is where the homemaker can really shine, and the homemaker, wife, can really contribute with the savings. Now, in Proverbs 31, we have a very famous portion of Scripture known as the Proverbs 31 virtuous woman. And the virtuous woman is a chapter in which a mother is actually teaching her son what kind of girl he should be looking for to marry. And she gives us these characteristics of a virtuous woman. Now, I'm not going to preach through the entire passage of a virtuous woman, but I want to highlight for you that in this proverb, we find that the virtuous woman can contribute to the family by saving money. Now, notice there, you're there in Proverbs 31. Look at verse 14. Notice what the Bible says. She, referring to the virtuous woman, is like the merchant's ships... Now, what the merchant ships are referring to ships that would go across the sea, bringing different foods and spices and different things to sell. The Bible says that she is like the merchant ships. She bringeth her food from afar. Let me tell you something, ladies. You say, we got a single income family. Thank you, pastor, for telling my lazy husband to get a job and get some value. Okay, well, here's, here's your job, homemaker wife, The virtuous woman can help the single-income family save money by shopping around for the best food and the best prices. Remember, it comes back to value. See, she, the virtuous woman, is like the merchant's ships that bringeth her food from afar. I can tell you in our home that uh, there are certain, my wife, there are certain things that she purchases at certain stores and then other things that she purchases at other stores because of the fact that she can get a better price and get a better value and more bang for your buck. You ever heard that phrase? That's, you know what that's referring to? Value. There are certain things that she can buy at one store that she can get a better price at another store, so she is like the merchant's ships; She bringeth her food from afar. And you know, one of the reasons that my wife has the ability to be able to research and think through those things is because she doesn't have to go home and, or go out and work 40 hours a week somewhere. So, look, ladies, you can help your single family uh, income by shopping around for the best foods at the best prices. You should be like the merchant's ships, which bringeth her food from afar. Let me give you another one. Go to Proverbs 31, look at verse 15. Proverbs 31, 15. Notice what it says. She, the virtuous woman, riseth also while it is yet night, notice, and giveth meat, the word meat means food, to her household, and a portion to her maidens. The virtuous woman can also help the family save money by feeding her family and not eating out. Look, eating out costs a lot of money. And I'm not against you eating out every once in a while. Look, I'm not against you eating out every day. I don't care what you do. I'm just trying to help you. But I'm just telling you, if you get in these habits of just constantly eating out, eating out, eating out, don't be surprised if if you say, I can't make, we can't make ends meet. Look, one thing that you could do with your wife staying home is having her be the, like the merchant's ships that gets the best bang for her buck, knows where to buy certain things and get certain deals, and then she comes home and provides a delicious meal. She, the Bible says giveth meat to her household and a portion to her handmaid. You can help your family save money by feeding. She can help by feeding her family good, wholesome, delicious, nutritious meals and not eating out. And eating out is something you could do every once in a while or whatever, but, it, it, but if you're just doing it all the time, it's going to cost you a lot of money. Here's another thing she, the virtuous woman could do. Proverbs 31, look at verse 16. Proverbs 31, verse 16. Notice, she, the virtuous woman, considereth a field and buyeth it. Now, the key word here in this phrase is that she considereth a field. Notice, the virtuous woman can save money by making wise purchases and let me tell you something there is value in saving money i mean uh, i think it was benjamin franklin who said a penny saved is a penny earned the truth of the matter is that a penny saved is like five pennies earned because if you as a worker have to go out and make more money First of all, you have to add to your own value, maybe add to your own time. But when you make more money, guess what? Now you have to pay taxes on that money. You also tithe off that money, which is a good thing. But there's expenses that come along with that. But you know what happens if you don't make any more money, but your wife learns to save you money and you end up spending a lot less than what you're already making? You're make, it's like getting a raise without paying taxes. It's like getting a raise without increasing any other expenses. So look, the virtuous woman can make wise purchases. She considereth a field and buyeth it. Not too long ago, I was going through our finances, and I went to my wife and I told her, we're, we're spending a lot of money on water. We had this water delivery service, and you know we wanted certain types of waters. We didn't want fluoride in our water. I know it makes your teeth look nice, but you know, it kills brain cells or whatever. So we, we wanted a certain water we were spending. And what happened was years ago, years ago, when we had just a couple of kids, you know, we set up this, this water service with a company and it was very inexpensive. It was no big deal. But over the years, as our family has grown and we had more kids and they're drinking a lot of water and whatever, we drink a lot of water in our in our house, you know, we were just adding one bottle here and one bottle there. And, and, and I was going through our finances. I was like, man, we're spending a lot of money on water. You know, water's costing us a lot of money. And I, and I, I told her that, and I said, you know, maybe um, we, we need to try to figure out something, or maybe the kids need to go on some sort of water fast. I don't know. But <laughs> it's costing a lot of money. Well, my wife comes back to me, and she says, you know, I was doing some research, and she found this, the, and she, she already knew about it, but she looked into it again, and she found this uh, thing called a Berkey. I'm sure many of you guys know what that is. And it's this, this system where you uh, can put, tap water into it and, and we were able to purchase one that had filters that would remove the fluoride and remove the chemicals remove all that stuff or whatever and here's the thing it costs like i don't know five hundred dollars or something to get the whole thing and get all the filters and everything but based on the fact that we were able to cancel our water system i mean we made that up in in, in just a few months and now we're, we're saving money every month where we were spending x amount of dollars. You know, now we are able to pour water into that thing and it filters out and it tastes great and we feel good about it and here's what I'm telling you a virtuous woman she considereth a field and buyeth it she thinks about like well you know we, we, we don't want fluoride we want water we, what can we do and then she goes out and she does some research she figures out and she's saving us tons of money just by being able to switch that and now we're selling waters from our trunk no I'm just kidding um, that's a good business though we could do you know And um, the point is this. The virtuous woman saves money by making wise purchases. Go to Proverbs uh, 31, look at verse 16. Let me give you another one. Proverbs 31, 16. She, the virtuous woman, considered a field and buy it. Notice, with the fruit of her hands, she planted the vineyard. Now, I want you to notice that in Proverbs 31, there's a theme about this virtuous woman. It says that with the fruit of her hands she planted the vineyard. Look at verse 19. She layeth her hands to the spindle, and her hands hold the distaff. Notice verse 22. She maketh herself coverings of tapestry. Her clothing is silk and purple. There's this emphasis in Proverbs 31 that the virtuous woman is working at home, making things at home, so that she doesn't have to buy it outside of the home. So she layeth her hands to the spindle and her hands hold the distaff and she maketh herself coverings of tapestry. Her clothing is silk and purple. She's making clothes at home so she doesn't have to go out and buy clothes. Or with the fruit of her hands, she planted the vineyard. She's planting at home so she doesn't have to go out in the market and buy it. And, and now let me just say this. I'm not telling you why, ladies that you need to go and start making your own clothes, okay? Because I don't believe that's what the, the, the proverb is really teaching us that you have to do what she's doing. Now, here's the point. When this proverb was written, clothes was very expensive. In fact, it was very rare. You and I, you know, you have clothes, you have different outfits of clothes that you can wear every day. But throughout human history, that has not been the case. The, the changes of garments, you'll notice in the Bible, there's always this emphasis on the change of garment, change of garment. People will give gifts as a change of garment because people didn't have a lot of clothes. So, it was, a very value, it was a very expensive thing to buy clothes, so the virtuous woman is making her own clothes. Here's the thing. Because of the industrial revolution and the society that you and I live in today, this is no longer the case. I can testify, my wife and I can testify to the fact that it will cost you more money to make your own clothes than to go to a thrift store and just buy used clothes. Now, sometimes it's, it, you know, ladies want to make clothes because it's fun and it's fun to make matching outfits for all the kids or whatever. So if you want to do it as a hobby, go for it. Nothing wrong with that. But if, if you want to do it to save money, don't waste your time because you're not going to save any money. All right. It'll be a lot cheaper for you to go and just purchase used clothes at the thrift store or whatever. But here's, the, here's what you can learn from this principle. What she's doing specifically no longer applies to us today. But here's the principle that we can take away. The virtuous woman saves money by not outsourcing services. See, in her day, it was better for her to make clothes than to buy clothes. In our day, it's, it's going to be cheaper for you to buy used clothes at the thrift store than to try to make your own clothes. So that's not really the, uh, the, the application. But the principle is this, that it costs you more to outsource than to just do things in home. So look, people get, you know, people get this idea and they think like, you know, well, my wife has to go to work and, and, and she has to go to work and make money or we can't survive. But oftentimes when you consider, and I'm not saying this applies to everybody, but this applies to a lot of people. When you consider how much money is being spent because your wife is going to work, you might be shocked how much money, you wouldn't need a second income if you were able to save on outsourcing. You say, what do you mean? Here's what I mean. You end up eating out every night because both the husband and wife are working. You end up having to pay thousands of dollars to have cho- your children watched because both husband and wife are working. And by the way, even if there was no financial gain, just watching your own children is, is worth it right there, period. Amen. But But just if you want to look at it just from a money, secular standpoint, by the time that the two-income family, you know, spends money all the time eating out because both husband and wife are working, they're too tired to to make food. By the time you add the expense of child care and babysitters and daycare, by the time you add, you know, the the maid service you hire because you're both working and you're just tired... too tired to clean your house by the time you add the dry cleaning bills because neither one of you wants to do the laundry so you have to extend all your laundry to the dry cleaners by the time you add the second vehicle because she needs her own car now and you got to put insurance on that thing and you got to put gas in that thing by the time you add her wardrobe because she can't go to work wearing the same thing every day she's got to have all these different outfits to be able to go look by the time you add all those expenses you might realize that you got to save money by not outsourcing those services Instead of outsourcing your dry cleaning and your meals and your daycare, you know, bring it all back in to the virtuous woman. Let her watch the children. Let her make the meals. Let her do the laundry. You might be shocked how much money you save. The virtuous woman saves money by not outsourcing services. She layeth her hands to the spindle. She makes things at home that will help her and that will uh, benefit uh, the family. Let me give you a fifth one. Proverbs 31, look at verse 11. The virtuous woman saves money so that her husband can confidently trust her with money. Proverbs 31, 11, the heart of her husband does safely trust in her. Now, I want you to notice that this is talking about finances. Now, I think the heart of every husband should safely trust in his wife in every area of life. But this is about finances because it says the heart of her husband does safely trust in her. Notice, so that he has no need of Spoil. The word spoil is referring to the goods taken by war. Today in our modern culture, a spoil is like you guys went to war and then you're able to take a bunch of goods that you weren't really planning on getting. You weren't really planning on having it. You just kind of got it and, and it helped you. Here, the Bible says, you know, the guy married to the virtuous woman, he's not hoping that he can get some spoil Because his wife is spending so much money at home that he's just hoping... You know, here's the equivalent. The guy that's just hoping he gets a bonus because he just can't get his wife to stop spending money. The Bible says that the heart of her husband does safely trust in her so that he shall have no need of spoil. So listen, ladies. You can help the single-income family by saving money, by helping save money, by helping save in all these different areas. Go to Proverbs 21. Proverbs 21. Proverbs 21, look at verse 20. Proverbs 21, 20. There is treasure to be desired and oil in the dwelling of the wise. Notice what the Bible says. There's treasure and there's oil in the dwelling, in the house of the wise. But, here's the contrast, a foolish man spendeth it up. Look, you're going to have to learn, if you're going to be a single income family in 2022, you're going to have to learn to live below your means. Say, well, what do we do? Well, the husband has his part to play and the wife has her part to play. The husband needs to become more valuable so that he can earn more and the wife needs to learn to get value so that she can spend, more, uh, spend less and you guys can survive off of one income because there is treasure to be desired in, and oil in the dwellings of the wise, but a foolish man spendeth it up. Now, let me just real quickly give you seven ideas for saving money in the home okay just seven quick ideas number one of course and I preached on finances last week so I don't want to spend a lot of time on this but let me just say this you need to live within your means which means you need to budget you need to know how much money you have to spend so you can live below that you should get out of debt getting out of debt will help you live below your means stop eating out and eat at home we've already talked about that buy used buy used buy a, buy used things go to thrift stores Get over yourself, all right? Just, it's not a big deal. You can wash the clothes, all right? Do a spending fast. My wife and I will do this from time to time where we just, we'll just take a month and say, it's a spending fast. We're not going to spend any money. And uh, so we won't eat out or anything like that. Um, obviously, guys, be smart about that, okay? Go to your wife on, on the month of her birthday. We should do a spending fast, okay? <laughs> That's not going to work. Do it on the month of your birthday, all right? Um, Here's another one. Stop trying to keep up with others. Amen. Stop caring so much Amen. about how you, you got to look and you got to keep up this image. You know, I, I'd rather not be broke and, 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 and not keep up an image than keep up some sort of facade that we've got money when we're just, you know, up to our eyeballs in debt and just struggling and fighting about finances. Stop trying to keep up with other people. That, that's petty, immature, high school garbage. Grow up and just realize that there's more. Life is more than meat and raiment. And then see what bills you can get rid of, or see what bills you can lower. You know, like like the water Berkey situation. You might have something like that in your house that you can do, and it might uh, be able to to help you. Go to uh, uh, Second Thessalonians chapter three, if you would. I realize I'm going to preach a little longer than I normally do tonight, and I apologize for that. But you're getting a lot of value. All right. I'm, not even charging you for the extra time. It's just overtime. I'm staying late to show you the value. I'm kidding. We'll do this quickly. 2 Thessalonians. If you keep your place there, if you're in 1 Timothy, if you go backwards from 1 Timothy, you got 2 Thessalonians right before 1 Timothy. I said, number one, the single-income family must earn money. Number two, the single-income family must save money. Number three, the single-income family must understand money. The single-income family must understand money. And there's just a couple of things I want you to understand in regards to money. Number one, reject the welfare mentality. We live in a world today where we are just told that the government has to provide for all of our needs, that the government has to provide our health care, the government has to provide our, our, our money for our rent, that the government has to provide phones, that the, money, the government has to provide education, Today, we're, we live in a society where the government is trying to provide everything for you. And listen to me. They're not doing it because they're benevolent. They've got a, a, an agenda. You say, what is it? Here's the agenda. They want you to become dependent on them. Right. Right. People sometimes, they say to me like, Pastor, aren't you afraid that they're going to require you to vaccinate your children? And I'm thinking to myself like, the government doesn't even know my kids exist. You know, and I'm kidding. Obviously, they, we, we, we do whatever legal things. We do everything we're supposed to legally, okay? <laughs> <You know. laughs> Let me go on record. <laughs> but the point that I'm making is like, you know, if people tell me that, I'm like, well, why would they make me? Why would I have to get my kids vaccinated? Well, you can't put them in school unless you get them vaccinated. I don't put them in school. Right. But you can't take them to the hospital unless you get them. I don't take them to that hospital. I don't, or I don't uh, apply for that benefit. Well, there's just benefit and that benefit. I don't pay for any of that! Man, man. So unless they're going to make you be vaccinated to go to the public library, which is literally the only government <laughs> institution that we take advantage of, just look, I'm telling you something. Reject the welfare mentality. Man, man. Second Thessalonians chapter 3 and verse 8. Notice what the Bible says. Neither did we eat any man's bread for naught. I don't want Joe Biden's bread. I don't want Barack Obama's bread. Neither did we eat any man's bread for naught. But you know, the the bread that I want to eat at my house and I want my wife and my children to eat, I want it to be wrought with labor and travail night and day that we might not be chargeable to any of you. Not because we have not the power, but uh, uh, to make ourselves an example unto you to follow us. Notice verse 10. For even when we were with you, this we commanded you, that if any would not work, neither should he eat. This is what the Bible teaches. For we hear that there are some which walk among you disorderly, working not at all, but are busybodies. Not them that are such such we command and exhort by our Lord Jesus Christ, that with quietness, notice the last part of verse 12, they work and eat their own bread. Now look, if you're here tonight and you're like, well pastor, I'm, I'm getting food stamps and I'm this and that. Look, I'm not against you. And look, and I'm not talking, if you're disabled or, or you're a, a, a single mom or something like that, I'm not talking, I'm talking about you, you're a grown man, you need to go work and make money. You say, well, I can't work anymore. Look, please, let, let me help you with something. I remember when I, I was just a kid and my dad explained this to me. He said, he, he, my dad, you know, my dad, we, when I was growing up, my, my dad was notorious for just sitting my brother and I down and just teaching us life principles. And you should do that for your kids, by the way. Here's one thing that my dad told me. He said, look, it's not about working more hours or working multiple jobs or just working yourself to death. It's about getting paid more when you work. You know what he was teaching me is that you need to just become valuable. And look, whatever area you find yourself, as a pastor, I'm trying to become the most valuable pastor I can I'm trying to provide the most value I can. And I realize I have areas I can work in and I get that. But look, don't get caught into this, you know, just taking handouts. I didn't have six kids to try to get somebody else to feed them for me. I want to provide for my family. The Bible says, if any, provide not for his own, especially for those of his own house. He hath denied the faith and is worse than an infidel. So reject the welfare mentality. Be proactive. Proactive. Don't be waiting for the government to try to do something or get you something or whatever. You go out and you do it. You add value. You earn it. You save it. You put work into it and God will bless you and God will help you. Go to Matthew chapter 6. Matthew chapter 6. This is the last one we'll look at. We'll finish up. Things that you need to understand about money. Number one, reject the welfare mentality. And then number two, put God first and he'll take care of the rest. Put God first and he'll take care of the rest. I'll be honest with you business owners. And look, I I say things like this and everybody gets offended. Listen to me. We've got about 17 business owners in this church. So if what I'm about to tell you offends you, there's 17 others of you that are going to get offended too, okay? Don't sit there and say, Pastor said that because of me. I'd be afraid if I was a business owner and I literally had to get up every day and what I did with my hands or what I did with my mind or what I did out in business was how I fed my money, you better believe I'd never miss any service. I'd never miss any service. I'd never miss any soul winning. I'd never miss any Bible reading. I'd never miss anything because I'd just be like, God, I need you to help me. Amen. Amen. It's by the grace of God that some of you guys are like, oh, you know, I need God to bless me. Hey, you know what the Bible says? Put God first. Amen. Not just in life. Financially, you want to be blessed by God financially? Put God first. Say so prove it. Matthew six thirty one. Therefore, take no thought saying, God says, don't worry about this. What shall we eat? Or what shall we drink? Or wherewithal shall we be clothed? Aren't these things that people worry about? For after all these things the Gentiles seek, for your heavenly Father knoweth uh, knoweth that you have need of all these things. Notice what he says, verse 33. But seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And notice, all these things shall be added unto you. All what things? Eat, drink, clothe. Maybe you're a business owner, you're in sales, and you're like, ah, I'm struggling. Pastor, what should I do? Here's my first question. How's your church attendance? Here's my second question. How's your soul winning? Here's my third question. How's your Bible reading? How's your devotional time? How's your prayer time? uh, What does that have to do? Hey, you put God first, and God will take care of you. Well, Pastor, you don't understand. You know, I have to work on Sunday night uh, to make ends meet. That's a great way to, get, to have God just ruin you financially. I can't go soul winning because I have to work. That's a great way. And look, I'm not saying you have to go soul winning on Saturdays, but you make sure you become a soul winner. Amen. Put God first, and he'll take care of you. Lean not unto thine own understanding. and all thy ways acknowledge him, and he shall direct thy paths. Amen. So look, I'm trying to help you tonight. It's hard for the single-income family. It's hard. I get that. And being a single-income family means you may not be going on a nice, extravagant vacation all the time. It means that you may not be living in the fanciest house or driving the, the nicest vehicles. But you can do it. And God can help you. But you have to earn money. You have to save money. And you have to have the right understanding about money. That above all things, God comes first. It is He who gives us the, gives us the power to get wealth. And you put God first and God'll help you with the rest. Let's bow here tonight with prayer. Heavenly Father. Thank you, Lord, for your word and thank you for the Bible. And Lord, I pray that you'd help, Lord, I, I realize that it's hard. And sometimes you got these families and they got kids and, and, and it's difficult. I get it. We we live it. It's difficult. And sometimes you look at the budget and you're thinking to yourself, man, we're just spending too much money here. But Lord, help us to put these principles into practice. Lord, I pray that there'd be men that would go out of here and, and tomorrow morning, Monday morning, decide to, to add value to themselves at work and in their jobs. Lord, I pray that there'd be some virtuous women that would go out and say, how can I help? How can I not be a burden to my husband, but help my husband save and, and help us succeed financially? And Lord, I pray you'd help all of us to reject the welfare mentality and to put God first and to remember that you are the source of all the good things. In the matchless name of Christ we pray, amen.